If you have a Bible, uh, you can open them up to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. I gave, uh, uh, when Sam asked me a couple weeks ago if I'd preach for a couple weeks, I said, hey, I'd like to just preach out, you know, one chapter, Genesis 1. And um, so I'm cheating a little bit, but technically, uh, you know, the chapters and verses aren't, they're not inspired. Uh, this, you know, Moses wasn't writing, you know, Genesis one. Then, you know, uh, it, they were added, you know, years and years later, uh, just to make it helpful for people to find uh, the verses and uh, reference them and things like that. So, technically, Je- uh, Genesis two one through three is part of Genesis one. Uh, some somebody messed that up. They botched it. So, uh, it's all right. We'll forgive them. Uh, but if you don't have a Bible, it's also found in the in the worship folder. And and before we read that, let's uh, look to the Lord, asking His blessing on the on the reading and the preaching of the Word. Uh, let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, how astounding and amazing that truth is that Jesus loves us. That vile sinners though we are, as the old hymn says, we are uh, we're wretches. And yet you have, because of your amazing grace, redeemed us, brought us back, pulled us out of the darkness and into your marvelous light, transferred us from a kingdom and the power of death into the kingdom of your beloved son, Jesus. Father, for these things we're so grateful. And now we need your help by your spirit to see again the riches of who you are as you've revealed yourself in your word, the riches of the salvation that you have freely offered to us in the good news of Christ. So give us eyes to see that, ears to hear that this morning. Bless the reading and the preaching of your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Genesis chapter 2. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy for on it he rested from all his work of creation this is God's word we uh, the last couple weeks have been looking at one chapter in the Bible the beginning uh, Genesis chapter 1 and uh, we've been doing that as I've said because it's it, I think in many marvelous ways, it gives us th- the foundational story to everything that is. Uh, Genesis is in many ways, uh, it's the blueprint, it's the, it's the, it gives us the origins. Uh, you all uh, perhaps know origin stories, or maybe you're into superheroes or something like that, and everybody loves a good origin story. Uh, and even even the word Genesis, it, it has similarities. It shares uh, the similar similar wor- uh, root word as genetics, right? So everything everything that you are, your personality, what you look like, uh, just the sh- even the shape of your body, all of those things you get from your genetics. Uh, and in the same way, Genesis serves as kind of the genetic structure to the entire story of the Bible, uh, which means it gives us the origins of, of what this is all about, uh, who made all of this, why are you here, what's your purpose in life, uh, but also, and maybe more significantly, it gives you the destiny, it gives you where things are headed. Uh, and this morning, we're going to be looking at 
the end of Genesis one. I know it's Genesis two, but as I explained, it's it's you know it's uh, the the chapters and verses were put in later. So this is really the end of of, of Genesis one, and it's all about the Sabbath. It's all about the, that final day of creation and what happened and how that is significant to your life, what it means, what it means about God, what it means about human history, uh, what it means about just your daily life, what the, how you structure your week. There's so much packed into the Sabbath. And I want to look at just a couple of uh, truths, what the Sabbath is in Genesis chapter 1. So we're going to look at three things this morning. First, we're going to look, we're going to see that Sabbath is a completion. Sabbath is a completion. Then we're going to see that Sabbath is a conquest. And then third, we're going to see the Sabbath is, is, is God's call to consecrate. It's a consecration. So the Sabbath is a completion, a conquest, and a consecration. Uh, if you, if you were here the last couple of weeks, I mentioned on several occasions that Genesis 1 has this very unique, poetic, structure uh, in which what the author is communicating is that God is designing like a master uh, architect like a a, like a sort of a a sovereign artisan he is he is carefully constructing the blueprints and then by the very power of his of his own word creating a giant cosmic building uh, that we call the cosmos and that's what he's doing. He has, he has, by his sovereign will, by his good pleasure, just because it brings him joy, just out of the overflow of, of the love of the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, he is designing this cosmic building. And in Genesis 2, verse 1, that is coming to its zenith. It's all coming to completion. Uh, just in the verse previous, in Genesis 1, 31, uh, it says that God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it says it was very good. So here in the Sabbath, what you see is the Sabbath is a completion. The creator in Genesis 1 verse 1, who spoke and and light happened, the creator of all that is now being recognized as the consummator. The Alpha, the first, the one who knows no beginning, who has no beginning, is now in Genesis 2 declared to be the Omega, the last. Uh, the one who said, let there be, and it was, is, is finally at the very end revealed as the one who says, it's done, it's finished. The author in Genesis 1 is declared to be the finisher. This is important. This is radically important. This is uh, this means that God is He's the beginning of the story. He's the end of the story. He's everything in between. And what that means for your life is incredibly powerful. Let me draw that out for a second. It means this. It means the God who begins something. Genesis one verse one. The God who begins something will bring that something to completion. The God who begins something will bring it to completion. And that's a remarkable truth. And it's picked up in a number of places in the New Testament. Uh, bear with me for a second. And Paul, in three different places in the New Testament, brings up this reality. He's drawing on the reality of Genesis 1. It's in his mind, and he's speaking to followers of Jesus, people just like you and me. And he's showing them the wonderful 
relevance of an ancient book that was written thousands of years ago. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul is speaking to the Corinthians church, Corinthian church, and he says, The God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in your heart to bring you the knowledge of salvation in Jesus. See how he's drawing on Genesis 1. He's saying, uh, the God who spoke light into existence is now shining on your hearts. If you believe in Jesus, if you have embraced Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that, that God who spoke light is speaking to you this morning. In Romans 4, verse 17, uh, uh, Paul is, is, is taking another step in this, in this uh, fantastic, amazing argument about the relevancy, the truth, the power of the gospel. And he's, he's, he's alluding back to this old guy in, in, in the book of Genesis named Abraham, who many of you know was without, he was 100 years old, had no children. And, and, and Paul, recognizing something about Abraham, said that just like Abraham, just like in Abraham's life, where there was a, a, you know, a barren womb and God brought life into his wife Sarah's womb, God is able to, out of nothing, bring something into existence. Uh, the God of Genesis calls something into existence that does not exist. That's the great truth of Genesis 1, that God does that. But the end of, the the end of Genesis 1 communicates that the God who does that, who brings something into existence, will finish it. He will bring it to completion. And that's why I think in Philippians 1, you, if you know your New Testament... Paul is talking to a small little church, uh, very much like this church here this morning, a small group of, of Christians, followers of Jesus in the first century. And Paul says to them that the God who began a good work in you, the God who shone in your heart, uh, just like he did in the very beginning of the Bible, brought light out of darkness, the God who began a good work in you, he will bring that to completion. And that's an amazing truth because it shows you the pattern of your life. It shows you not just the origin, that your life, your salvation, everything that you have was begun by God. That will be completed by God. Amen. That will be finished by God. Uh, the life of this church, God started this church. It wasn't a church planter. It wasn't a core group. It wasn't anything like that. God started this church. And he will bring his good purposes to completion in Christ Jesus. And it doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what the world thinks. God will finish his work in the life of this church. God will finish the work in each and every one of your life. And that's a powerful truth because if we're honest with ourselves, if I'm honest with myself, there are countless thing, instances in my life, relationships in my life that are unfinished that appear to be broken, that appear to be part of that chaos and darkness and confusion of Genesis 1. And what Genesis 2 verse 1 is saying is the God who brought that into existence will finish it. He will complete it. He's the author and the finisher, the alpha and the omega, the creator and the consummator. And that's an amazing truth. That means that God will complete you. He will complete your story and it will bring him tremendous joy and praise and it will be the delight of your life. Sabbath is a completion, but it's also a conquest. And that might be, you might 
especially if you grew up in the church, you you maybe viewed the Sabbath with a particular lens. You might not have ever understood that Sabbath is a conquest. That might be something a little bit new, maybe a little bit uh, intriguing to you. Uh, but that's what's really happening. Uh, the Sabbath in Genesis 1, at the end of Genesis 1, is a conquest. What do I mean by that? Well, uh, in verse 2, uh, it says that on the seventh day, God had completed. He completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Now, that language, God rested, he was refreshed from his work. It's not because he was exhausted. Uh, clearly, the God who speaks and, and things come into being is not tired by the work of creation. It's not that he's exhausted at all. It's instead this kind of rest and refreshment. Actually, I was I was thinking about this because almost a year ago is when I is when I preached for y'all the first time, and I remember uh, I remember it vividly because our dishwasher had broke, and I am not a handy guy at all. Um, but I was like, we were we we moved back into our house, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna I'm gonna give my uh, you know I, if this thing is trash, it's gonna be trash anyway. I might as well just experiment on it. And so I went online, watched about 50 YouTube videos, and finally diagnosed the problem. And I remember talking to Sam and Carl about this. And I had to order a part, and we were without a dishwasher for like two weeks. I'm there every night doing the dishwash, doing the dishes in the sink. And I remember that like you know over that two week period, it was the the job was unfinished. My dishwasher just sat there broken, and it was incredibly frustrating. But that the moment of installing that that piece of equipment, that part that had broken, you know, tightening up all the screws, watching the YouTube videos over and over again, scrolling it back, making sure I was doing it right, and then getting it to the end and pushing that start button on the cycle and hearing it work and water wasn't, you know, <laughs> spraying all over me. It was the, one of the most amazing experiences ever. And you've had this. You get done with a huge project. You get done. You're, you've been gardening outside. You've been, uh, you know, finishing up kids' homeschool or whatever. And you, you, know, you crack open the beer or whatever your drink of choice is. You pour the glass of wine. You sit back on the couch. And you're just in a, you, you're refreshed. You take joy in that. That's what's happening in Genesis 2. God isn't, he's not exhausted. He's stepping back and surveying the whole creation. And he's, it just bring, it's bringing him joy. It's bringing him delight. What does that have to do with a conquest? Well, the Old Testament, the rest of the story picks up this theme over and over again. And uh, in multiple places in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, it uses that language of rest as a symbol of victory, as a symbol of conquest. So, for example, in the Old Testament, there was this golden box. Uh, most of you know it from the Indiana Jones movies. Um, but you know, there's this golden box called the Ark of the Covenant, and it was a, it was designed to be uh, the physical the physical manifestation of God's throne. So wherever the ark was, was sort of the guarantee of God's enthroned royal presence. That was the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, and it was, you know, enshrined in a tent or a temple, a tabernacle. And wherever that tabernacle moved, the ark would move. And wherever that ark rested, that was the place where God's royal presence would rest. And over and over again in the Old Testament, there's this theme. You kind of have to 
you kind of have to follow it and track it a little bit, but there's this theme that God is asking the people over and over again, where's going to be the resting place of my ark? Where's going to be the place where I'm enthroned? Where's going to be the place where uh, it's made clear that my victory is is complete? So in places like uh, 1 Chronicles 28, we're told that David was seeking a resting place for God's ark, for the throne of God. That's what he was seeking. And God said, uh, you, you can't build that, David. You can't build that temple. You can't build that resting place. So the place was... It, the resting place of the ark was to show that was to show God's royal victorious presence. But the people of God also needed a place to rest. And if you turn to the book of Hebrews in chapter four, uh, you find out that the, the author in Hebrews talks about the rest of the people of Israel as the time in which they would enter the land of Canaan. Uh, as soon as Joshua brought them into out of the wilderness, into the into the promised land and they had victory over their enemies they would experience a kind of rest a kind of royal conquest in which things would be at peace uh, and we could get into that more but just i want you to i hope you're tracking with me that the rest that the old testament talks about is a rest of victory and conquest over all of the forces that would possibly seek to uh uh, go against God's sovereignty or rule or come against God's people. So the rest comes after the conquest. That's why David wasn't able to build the temple because he was a man of war because his task was to defeat the enemies of God's people and Solomon, his son, was to be the one who built the temple who brought the nation of Israel, the kingdom of Israel, into that rest. What happens at the very end of the end of the Bible? The new Jerusalem, the city of God, comes after what? After all of the principalities and powers and the cosmic entities of darkness are overthrown and defeated. That's when God's heavenly city descends and he dwells with his people in what? In perfect rest, uh, in perfect victory, uh, in conquest. What does that have to do with your life? I know that's I'm pulling a bunch of threads of the Bible and the storyline of the Bible. I don't know about you, but I look at the world. I mean, Sam was even talking about it. The kingdom of man, right? You look at the world and everything about the world, whether it's on your news feeds, whether it's what you're reading, what you're seeing on TV, seems to suggest that the world is going to go down in this sort of cataclysmic blaze of glory and everything is just going to be ruined the story's going to you know we're going to uh be annihilated in the death of the sun and the whole world's going to go just extinct and the reality of genesis 1 says that that's exactly what isn't going to happen that your life and the life of this cosmos is wrapped up in the sovereign plan of god and he's the God who's the king of the world. He's the God who's going to get the conquest. He's going to get the victory. All of his enemies will be put under his feet. That's the great truth of the Bible. And it's right there in Genesis 1. He's already given you what, what is, is talked about in the very end of the Bible right up front. You have to get to the end of the Bible to understand that it's there like any good story. But it's right there in Genesis 1. 
So how do you know that? How do you know that that's true? How do you know that like, uh, you know, the the, the sun isn't going to burn out and the you know the oceans aren't going to rise and just devastate everything and we're going to be you know humanity is going to go extinct and all you know nothing will ever matter and all your relationships will disappear? It's because you can you can know that you can know that because right in the middle of the story, this same God. This God who was enthroned from eternity, who chose to build the world and make the world, ends up being put on a Roman execution device and crucified and bleeds out on the hill of Golgotha, and at the very end of his life says, it is finished. And he's the same God who at the beginning of the story said, let there be light, and there was light. And on the cross he's saying, it's finished. My conquest, my victory is secure. It's done. Your life is paid for. Your life is bought. Your sin is atoned for. Your debt is canceled. You're redeemed. You can know that history will end well for you and your loved ones and your relationships and the rest of this world because Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. And what he was saying was, my victory is secure. It's complete. It's assured. It's certain. So the Sabbath is a completion of that great master builder, God, who designed the whole world. It's also a conquest. It's, it's, it's the sign that the God who, who began everything will have his victory at the end. He will sit back in enjoyment over all the things that he has made and brought to completion. But the Sabbath is also a consecration. It's a consecration. What do I mean by that? Well, last week I talked about uh, if you remember, the, uh, there's a very particular structure to Genesis 1 where God in the first three days creates three realms, uh, the realms of light and darkness, the realms of the air and the waters, and the realm of land. And then in day four, five, and six, he creates the, the rulers of those realms. So for example, the, in, you know, who's going to rule over uh, the light and the darkness? Well, in day four, he says... Uh, the great light and the lesser light, the sun and the moon, they're going to rule over that. They're going to be the ones who, uh, you know, uh, rule over the night and the darkness. And then he creates on the fifth day uh, the rulers of the, the, of, the, of the sea and the air, the birds and the fish. And then in day six, he creates the land animals. And then as the pinnacle of creation, he creates human beings. But that chain of command doesn't stop with day six. Uh, there's, a, there's a crescendoing. And it builds, and that chain of command goes right up through humanity to the triune God. To Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It, that chain of command ascends right up to the seventh day. And it's the creator who identifies all of creation in his naming and, inve and invests those creatures with authority to bear fruit and grow and multiply and blesses them. It's that creator who in the Sabbath day says the Sabbath is set apart as a consecration to show all of the cosmos, all human beings, all creation, that Yahweh, the God of the Bible, is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And so the Sabbath was given to all of humanity, to all of creation, as a sign that it exists to serve God. It exists to pledge allegiance to God. It exists to be in submission to its creator. 
And so let me invite you this morning again to submit your lives to that God. Let me invite you to submit your lives to that God. It's the God who, who, who is in charge of your story from, from beginning to end. It's the God who promises that your life matters. It's significant. That you're not just sort of a particle of dust in the universe that will go uh, extinct, but your story will actually go on into eternity. And Jesus' death and resurrection has guaranteed that. Let me invite you to submit your life to that God. And let me assure you that this, this, this God has the best interests in mind. Let, think about this for a moment. In the New Testament, in the Old Testament, the people of God, Adam and Eve, uh, they were they worked six days. There was a pattern of six and one. You see this in 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 the Ten Commandments, where uh, where Moses uses uh, this pattern of six and one. You work for six days, and then you rest. So the people of God were given six days in which to do their work and one day to rest. And that was the pattern. You work, and then you rest over and over again. That was the pattern of their life. Year after year, they even had a a yearly calendar that was built on that pattern. You work and then you rest. You work and then you rest. There's six days of work and then you rest. In the New Testament, this extraordinary thing happens and you just get little hints of it here and there. And over the last 2,000 years in church history, theologians and biblical writers have talked about this and written about this. What seems to happen in the New Testament is the day that Jesus rises again from death becomes the new day of the Lord, becomes the new Lord's day, becomes the new sign of God's Sabbath rest. And that's significant because it's not the last day of the week, it's the first day of the week. And that change, it means everything in the world because no longer are you working six days and then resting because that's, that's what Adam did. He worked and then he rested. He was to obey God and then experience the reward of God's smile and grace. The reward of God's delight over his life. Jesus comes and Jesus says, I'm going to give you my grace. I'm going to give you my rest. I'm going to give you forgiveness. I'm going to give you my delight. You're going to be the joy of my heart. And from that from that place of certainty, from that place of victory, from that place of rest, you can go out and do your work. Does that make sense? That, 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 that the reality is you are no longer working to somehow earn something from God, to get his smile, to get his favor. You now have it. In the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you have the smile of your father. You have the smile of the creator of the world. And now you can go out and you can face anything. You can go into that relationship that's difficult. You can go into that job that you hate. You can go into the world in all of its chaos, knowing that the victory is secure, that you have the smile of your creator, that you are the delight of Jesus, that he loves you just like that. That's an amazing truth. You can submit your life. You can submit to your, your, your whole being to a God who loves you like that. Amen. I would invite you to do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you are the Alpha and the Omega. 
that the work that you began, you will complete. That that is true in creation. We know the end of the story. And it's true in our lives that if we're here today and we're hearing the good news of Jesus and we're embracing that by faith, we we can know that our story is secure, that our life is secure. That there's no there's no authority, there's no power, there's no entity in all of creation that can separate us from the destiny that you have planned for us in Jesus. You will complete it. We can be sure of this. So Father, I pray that you would just bless us with that assurance where things are spiraling, spiraling, spiraling out of control in our hearts, in our families, and our relationships in this world. Give us the assurance that you are the author and the finisher. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen.